0: Many of us in this world find ourselves searching for ways to feel more alive. We move through our lives day after day, living through the same repetitive cycles and the same stressful patterns that often leave us feeling defeated, underappreciated, or unfulfilled. But what if there were a different way to perceive life What if out there we were able to find the keys to a happy, healthy, and fulfilling reality in the lives that we're living right here, right now? For those of us who are looking for a way to transform our lives, for those of us who are looking to fully live in this moment, to change how we feel, how we perceive the world, and awaken to a better reality so we can fully live this life, this is the Live This Life Podcast. And I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question, are you living or are you killing time? Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Live This Life podcast. Today I'm going to approach this episode in a little bit of a different mindset. I'd like to talk about some recent country and world events that have been going on. Um, Before I do, I just want to mention very briefly, uh, again, our partnership with Adidas with their at-home training app, the Adidas training app. They have another promotion going with that right now. Um, It's called the Home Team Hero promotion. Starting May 29th, today, May 29th, going through June 7th, they are going to donate $1 for every hour of activity that's logged through their apps. So we have a current partnership with them through Live This Life to bring the Adidas training app to people for free for their uh, 90-day free period. During the quarantine period, um, not sure how much longer it's gonna last, they haven't really set an ending date for it, but um, you can go to the Live This Life page, maybe the link will still be up there by the time you hear this, Um, but either way, if you listen to this during that time period, Adidas is going to match dollar for hour of every hour that's logged, And that money is going to go to the COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund, which is going to provide provision of masks and uh, medical supplies to communities in South Korea, Europe, and United States. So it's a great cause. Um, It's going to get you healthy in the process. And it's supposed to be, you know, an an online world athletic event. So participate if you are looking for something healthy to get uh, moving on. And it's for a great cause. Now, today's episode, I'm going to be approaching it from a little bit of a different perspective from what I usually do on the show. Um, I, I really try to approach everything to enhance people's lives, to bring an air of you know potential and positivity and everything to people's lives. That's the point of the podcast. Um, you know, I want to keep this podcast on that up and up. You know, I want to be thought provoking and enlightening and all that stuff. Um, But this this subject is one that I felt very compelled to speak on, given my background and experience. And it was very much motivated by an interview that I did today with the uh, Interbloom podcast. We got onto the subject of what's happening in Minnesota with the death of George Floyd uh, at the hands of uh, police officers there. And, you know, coming from the background that I have come from, I was 18 years in law enforcement, and, you know, I feel like I've I've got a little bit of a responsibility to say something about this whole thing. You know, a lot of people have asked my opinion on on this kind of thing. And, you know, that's part of this podcast's deal is to speak authentically, you know, to live a very fulfilling life. You have to speak authentically and. To, to avoid the negative things that are going on in the world all the time just for the sake of trying to, you know, turn a blind eye towards those things and not see them in your reality because we want to talk about, you know, what you, what you observe shows up in your reality and all that stuff. You know, I totally agree with that. But also, turning a blind eye to the things that are going wrong in this world doesn't mean they just go away. You know, just because you don't focus on them doesn't mean they don't exist. And... I've felt very compelled to speak about this particular incident that's going on. Um, It's one that I think has bothered me the most out of all the things that I've seen through the years, all the different things that I saw in person and the things that I saw on videos. Um, Not that those didn't bother me. This one has just reached a whole other level, and I think it has for a lot of other people as well. So on Monday, May 25th, uh, a man named George Floyd was... Taken into custody by police for reportedly passing counterfeit bills at a convenience store, and in the video that you can see on the surveillance uh, at the store and outside the store, you can see them take him into custody. He's handcuffed behind his back, um, and he's he's let off. You know, George was a black man. He was surrounded by white police officers. Four four cops showed up to take up this this man. Um, he was a fairly larger guy. He was about six foot six but didn't appear at all in the video to have any sort of resistance or anything from the footage that I've seen. And he's walked pretty far off the camera. You can still see him on the camera view out to uh, a cruiser that's waiting to take him into custody. And he gets out to the cruiser and it looks like he falls to the ground. And it wasn't clear whether he threw himself to the ground. They threw him to the ground. He stepped off the curb and sort of fell. It looked like he was between the sidewalk and the doors from what I could see. The doors of the car, but the next thing you know, a bystander's video picks up, and for you know, seven minutes, it has an officer kneeling on Mr. Floyd's neck, and he is screaming the whole time, You know, let me up, I can't breathe. And it, you know, eventually, he starts to say that certain things are hurting him, and then eventually, he stops struggling altogether and stops moving. And that was that was at the point where he lost consciousness and passed away. Now what you hear in the video is a whole lot of people, I'm not going to play the footage or anything, I'm sure most of you have seen it, and if not, you, you can definitely look that up on your own. Uh, it's something I don't really want to see again, it was that unpleasant. Um, you know, and I'll say this as well, is that I've seen a lot of other videos of this kind of stuff, and saw a lot of stuff in person, saw a lot of things over the years, and this one, not that the others didn't bother me and I don't wanna make it sound like I, I didn't, that I wasn't bothered by you know the death of, um, of Eric Garner and, and um, all the other people that I've seen. I mean, this was a similar case where you know, it was, I, I can't breathe and it was for something so minor. Um, that case bothered me extremely, extremely a lot. And this one just, it brought tears to my eyes for the first time. Um, I saw a human being taking the life of another human being first and foremost. And then obviously there's the the police issue. Then there's the police racial issue. Um, you have people standing there on the sidewalk who are yelling at the police to get off of him. You know, some of the people there were claiming to be first responders and have training and they were yelling, trying to get them off of him. And there was just one police officer that was standing there holding the crowd back. And In the video you can see that officer then the one who was kneeling on his neck And then there, I guess there was two more around the corner that were also holding mr. Floyd down and they were waiting for paramedics for whatever reason the Bystanders were going to jump in at one point and the officer that was on top of mr. Floyd's neck um, he He pulled out his pepper spray and you can see the crowd kind of moving in and he pulls out his pepper spray And you could tell these people wanted to do something I found myself in that position like compelled that if I was standing in that spot I would have jumped in I would have probably been the next one handcuffed and on the ground because I don't think I could have stood by and watch what was happening Especially you you get to look at it from the Monday morning quarterback perspective knowing that this man was going to pass away It's like yes, I definitely would have jumped in to save this man's life. I would at least try to do something um, but those bystanders probably had no clue where this was going to go. And that's a, it's a pretty scary thing that you, you see this happening with a man on the ground and you have no idea why he's there or what happened. You just see what appears to be an unjustified use of force on this man who's subdued. He's not resisting and he's screaming that he can't breathe. Um, and then throughout that video, you know, the knee stays on the neck of this man until he does pass away. Now, from a cop's perspective, yes, I, I'm no longer in the job and I will likely never, ever return to it. Um, it is one that served me very well throughout my life. I met a lot of great men and women. I uh, had a lot of great experiences. I've, I experienced a lot of things that were wonderful, you know, saved people's lives and, and did things that were, that were great, you know, great prideful things. But I also saw a lot of bad stuff. I saw people do a lot of things. I saw officers do a lot of things to people that I didn't agree with. Um, Saw a lot of ways they treated people that I didn't agree with. I saw so much stuff. I don't want to go down those roads. Um, They're not perfect. And they know it. They know that each other does things that aren't right. Um, They know, and if you're a police officer listening to this, you know that there are people out there who get away with things just because they're, they're cops. Maybe you've let people get away with things. Maybe you yourself have gotten away with things that the general public wouldn't have gotten away with. And I think that's one of the things that's bothering me the most about this right now is that, yes, you could have one hyped up police officer. You could have someone who was on an adrenaline rush for whatever reason. He maybe never has been in that much of a physical fight with anybody before. So, you know, he's all hyped up on adrenaline. He appeared to have that look like he had that long stare in the video, like he wasn't quite sure of what was happening. And that could have been an an adrenaline overload, whatever it is, it's not an excuse. And it's definitely not an excuse for the other three that were there that were not getting the situation under control. Somebody should have went up and said, okay, enough, he's subdued, get off his neck. Because I'll tell you right now, being someone who was not only a veteran who did the job for a long time, I was very, very knowledgeable. I mean, most of you who know me or who have listened to this podcast for a while can see that I'm pretty articulate. I, I get a good grasp on the things that I take on for ventures and everything. That is not an approved use of force. There are certain parts of the body that you can go after depending on what someone does um, there's areas when they show you your use of force model There's a, a body and it, it, it changes year to year It really does it change it all the time But certain parts of the body are green Which means you can go hands-on with those in general circumstances and there are ones that are yellow Where you have to have an elevated reason to grab someone or touch them or hit them there? And then there's areas that are red and you don't hit those red areas unless you can justify Really like drawing your baton or your gun like it's serious bodily injury or death and that area that that man was kneeling on would be considered a red area. He was kneeling right on top of his head and spine on his neck. Um, I don't think there's anything in any use of force models, nothing that I can recall that would justify what I saw. And I've really come to this conclusion, I think faster than any other incident because you always wanna be objective. You wanna be objective to what might have happened that you didn't see, because that happens a lot. The cameras get turned on right as soon as someone provokes something or, you know, there's always that piece of of evidence that's maybe missing. I don't think there's any circumstance in this case. I don't think there's anything that could show up that's going to defend that because that man could have had a knife in his hand at some point. He could have had a, a gun in his hand. He was in handcuffs. So even if he was armed at some point, I doubt he was at that point. And as long as he's no longer a threat, you have no reason to use that level of force on somebody. So I really don't think that there's anything that we're going to see in the next coming days that is going to justify. I don't think there's any reason to believe that there's going to be something to come out. And the one thing that I do want to say is that I I finally, for the first time in a while, have heard a lot of people, seen a lot of comments on Facebook and heard police officers talking about this is wrong. This is straight up wrong. Uh, you know, there's no way this could be right. And, it, you know, I have to say it's about time. Um, and maybe they feel like I did, too. In a lot of these incidents, you want to get gather all the facts. But I think most people, you know, feel the way that I do, that there is nothing that's going to come up that's going to justify what we saw on that video, justify the fact that that man's no longer here. Fortunately, I did read today that the the officer that was kneeling on his neck was arrested. Um, I don't know what the status is of the other officers, but at least that officer has been brought into custody. I think he was fired immediately that day or shortly after, um, and now I believe he's also in custody. So that will likely mean he faces charges in a trial and everything. So I hope justice is served. Um, but this is just another very disturbing mark on this profession, and we discussed today on the Inner Bloom podcast that should be coming out in a few days, the interview that I did with them, we discussed from my perspective as a, a former police officer and someone who's in politics now, and I'm in a position that would be in a, is a position of oversight over our local police departments, you know, policy and stuff like that. What do I think is what needs to happen? What is the solution? There, there is no magic wand for this one. This is such a multifaceted problem that goes. Beyond uh, so many easy answers, I don't think that we can expect that any single thing is going to change and solve the problem. It's it, it is systemic. I mean, and I'm, and I'm not going to say something like what Elizabeth Warren, senator from our our state of Massachusetts, uh, said that the, the the system is broken top to bottom inside now because that's condemning every single person who does the job. But I do think there's some major major flaws. I think. One of the biggest ones, um, and this is this is going to be a controversial statement, I understand that, but when I started this job, uh, when I started that job, not, the, not this job, that, that job that I had done at one point, I feel like the process was so competitive, and there was a lot of talented people that were going into that line of work, and the top of the class was an extraordinary group of people, and I feel like as the years went on, as things changed after 9-11, um, as the, the years just continue to roll on, I feel like more and more people who, who got into that line of work didn't like it anymore. You know, I, I, at least I can speak from my perspective that I started to lose a fire for it. And then I think a lot of those talented types of people either moved on or they chose not to do that job at all. So the what would have been the bottom of the barrel back when I was in the, the hiring processes back in the early 2000s, I think that Demographic is now the top of the class. I think the people who really wouldn't have made the cut back then are the ones who are at the top of the class now because there's not as much of a pool of people available. Um, I have met many people uh, along the, the way in recent years uh, before I, I hung it up that uh, really raised my eyebrows with some of the things that they said. And their level of knowledge, um, It just it really shocked me. And so I think that's one huge contributing factor to this. Another one I think is ongoing mental aptitude testing. I mean, it's one thing that kind of shocks me and I think most most police departments, at least in this area, they do not do continuing psychological testing. I think physical and psychological testing should be something that's done at some sort of regular intervals, whether it's every three years or every five years, but the fact that you you don't have to stay in shape, really, for that job, there's no requirements that require you to stay in shape, Uh, as well as the mental stuff because you're more likely to become mentally unfit as the years go on doing that job. Um, I personally know some people who had taken their life that did that job. And you see a lot of things. You go through a lot of stuff. And I myself went through some serious battles with PTSD and it happens. And a lot of them are too afraid to talk about their, uh, their devolving mental health status. Um, Not that that excuses this type of behavior, but I'm saying this is one of the contributing factors that I think needs to be taken into account into a reform. Um, I also think that looking at this from maybe a federal level, I think they've already enacted some things where if there is some sort of a civil rights issue going on, immediately that's going to trigger a Department of Justice inquiry. So that's at least some good positive progress, but... Um, obviously, we have a lot of things that need to be worked on. Um, I think general compassion for people. I think more sensitivity classes, I think, need to be taken up, really. Um, and I'm sure if there's anybody who's listening, trying to check, people that I might have worked with who are checking in on me and they're, they're uh, listening to me say that, I know I was in some of those classes that we would take over the years. Um, and people would be rolling their eyes uh, about some of the you know touchy feely kumbaya kind of stuff, and it's like you know what? Yeah, you need to keep kumbaying until it's not. It is. It is absolutely the worst possible thing to see a colleague doing what that man was doing. The instant he was on that man's neck with his knee, your deep down love for humanity, another person. Should have kicked in and said, "Hey, get off! Like that's not going to do anyone any good. You're not you're not following procedure, or you need to go. You know, keep the crowd back, and I'll handle this guy. Something. I remember even being hyped up when I was a young guy, and I had taken someone down. I remember just sitting there after we we handcuffed them and held them down, and I had to have somebody come over and tap me on the shoulder, like, "Hey, hey, we're all we're good. We got him. We can get him up." And it was just kind of like, "Oh yeah, 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 sure." You get hyped up. That's where good supervision comes in. But I, I feel like some of the old school mentality that exists in these circles of, of police departments, the codes of silence, the brotherhoods, all that kind of stuff, the, thing, the, the, the aspect of that job that keeps a police officer who's caught driving drunk on the job. You know, like the guy gets caught and someone gives him a ride home, if that was anyone else who wasn't in uniform, they would have been arrested, they would have lost their license, they would maybe lose their job if their license depended on their job, if their job depended on the license. And I think some of those things that that brotherhood aspect of it, those things need to go, the code of silence needs to go the, the unwillingness to speak up when you see something that's not right, when you when you notice when you're on an incident, and you notice that a person who witnessed something pretty traumatic on the job has all of a sudden changed and you don't say something to somebody. You know, his demeanor has changed ever since they witnessed something horrific on the job. And then you don't tell somebody that. That code of silence, that mind-your-own-business kind of stuff, that doesn't work anymore, obviously, because things like this keep on happening. You know, and I guess uh, when I got into politics, um, I – I did so with the hopes that I was going to do something at some point grander in this sort of realm, to maybe change policy, to change certain things that you know I didn't like over the years. Um, you know, unfortunately, I guess I, I I started in the wrong place because the place where I live, we do really do have a good police department, and and the The people that serve are they really genuinely care, care about the town and stuff. It's a small town. You usually get that in some of these small towns. You everybody knows these these police officers. They know everybody. Um, for the most part, it's a really great community atmosphere. But that is that is one of my main motivators because I saw corruption. I saw things that weren't right. I saw deceitful behavior um, that was covered up. It was known by people from the top levels of administrations that I saw all the way down, and when that kind of stuff happens, when unacceptable behavior is a not only a norm, but it's an accepted norm by the people who are the policy the people who are in charge, that's where things need to change. There needs to be people out there who see something like this happen, and it outrages them. And it outrages them to the point, not where they go and destroy their hard-earned, Tax dollars that are buying things like cruisers and police stations, like that, that's just, that's not doing anyone any good. Destroying local businesses, that's not doing anyone any good. But I understand the frustration. I mean, I can't imagine seeing this happen over and over and over again. And that like primal response that you just want to like lash out, I, I can see how that would happen. Not justifying rioting or looting, but I can see how that visceral response would be drawn out of people but I think going forward what really needs to happen is a general interest in for people who are so motivated who are so fed up with the way that things are going the things that they see that you use that motivation to start changing things politically at the local level because yes Systemically across the United States. Is there an issue there? There are many issues. We need to work out the the racism the Unchecked powers. There's so much stuff. There's so much corruption everything the way that we can change that isn't just by Destroying things or you know protesting. I mean I understand the reasons why people do those things But the hard part is taking the steering wheel out of the hands of the people who are driving this train, this whole thing, into the ground and do it yourself. I had to step up at one point. I did not want to ever get into politics. But I knew that if there were things that weren't going right and I wanted to see them done differently, I had to stand up and do something. And that meant sacrificing more of my free time. That meant sticking my neck out there. That meant doing more public speaking. That meant going against the grain that meant at some point doing what I'm doing right now and talking about the good, the bad and the ugly of the things that I saw and how that's not acceptable that people who are in positions of power use that power appropriately to ensure that there is accountability at every level. There's accountability at every single level of politics. And that goes from the administrative level all the way down to the boots on the ground. Um, It it needs to change. And the way that that change is going to get affected is that you need to get involved. The right people need to be in the right places. And like I said, that starts at the local level. The the policy control over police departments starts at the city council level, at the mayor level, at the select board level, whatever your your governmental situation, whatever the structure is in your city or town, that's where it starts. And all it takes is for you to want to get involved, have a good platform, and get enough people to stand behind you and what it is that you want to do. And then you put your you put your neck out there, you throw your hat in the ring to, to run for an election. But that's where these things can start to change to change. They can take shape. Eventually, those people at the local level do need to move up into the higher levels of politics. Um I'm not saying that's what I'm going to do, but I have no idea what the future is going to hold for me. I'm not going to leave that out of the cards because there are so many things that do need to change, and I don't feel like it's being done fast enough. I still feel like there's outside influence. I feel like there's there, there should be nothing even called a lobbyist, that they should be completely illegal. It is bribery. It, it is something that shouldn't even happen. Money should be out of politics. Um, and until that happens, we're gonna have problems. And until people get into office who are not Democrat, they are not Republican, they are humans. They are there for humanity. You can lean to one side or the other, but the, the main goal is to just make there not be one side or the other. That divide and conquer stuff has to end. And they glorify a lot of these incidents as well to to almost get people turning on each other to start bigger things like when we need to focus on, Yes, the systemic problems, but we also need to focus on the bigger the bigger issues. And that is we need to have the right people in leadership roles to ensure that these kind of things are responded to. Nasty things are, I'm sure, still going to happen. Um, but to make sure that justice is served, the right people need to be in the right top positions. And I don't feel like we've had that for decades and decades. Um, so I hope that this, if this reaches anybody, I hope that this this inspires people to step up at some sort of a level. I don't care what it is with politics, um, but the way for you to really affect change is to get up there and um, and try and affect some change. I mean, that's all I can give for a really easy answer right now. I mean, I just felt compelled to to get onto an episode. And talk about this whole incident because this is one that just really bothered me to my core. And being in that job, looking at what happened, like I said, I don't think there is anything in this world that could justify what happened there. I don't think there's anything that that officer could say how he perceived that this man was, a, you know, he was he was large or he was um, acting aggressively. It's like at a certain point, you, you have to let him up. And that move in any way, shape, or form wasn't okay anyways. Um, so... There's a lot wrong with this, and I just hope justice is served in the right way. So I really want to keep this one short and sweet. Um, It's not a very pleasant subject. I don't really ever go down this road, and I don't ever really plan to. I, I never even actually planned to have some sort of an episode like this. Um, when I f- did my first few episodes of the podcast, I was like, this will not be about law enforcement. This will not be about police work and all that kind of high test stuff. We won't be talking about guns and this, that, and the other thing like this. I don't want to turn this to a political type of thing. Um, but I really felt compelled. And like I said, to, to live a life that is genuine, to live one that, you know, is fulfilling. You have to be authentic. You have to be genuine. Um, you have to speak your authentic truth. And for me to just have this this opportunity, you know, this venue to to share my voice and my opinion and not use it, um, I felt like that would have been somewhat irresponsible. And this is something I was just compelled to to talk about in today's episode. I know there's a lot of good people out there who are still doing this job that are passionate about police work and all that kind of stuff. Um, I hope this compels them to look at themselves a little bit differently to look at the people they work with a little bit differently and think about how they would react if they were put in a situation where they saw this happening to somebody, you know, maybe they've seen it before and didn't act as, as well as they maybe should have. Um, but when you're put in that uniform, when you take on that position of authority, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. And first and foremost is to serve and protect. And I think that so many people forget that aspect you're there to protect people and to, to listen to uh, ambrosia matthews who was on the Interbloom podcast that i did the interview with them today i heard her say you know her size being a white woman and and everything she gets extremely terrified when she has to have an encounter with police and i had to say you know i'm a six foot 230 pound man who is trained in all sorts of combat sports and everything else and can hold my own um You know, I think to myself, if I were put into a situation where I was pinned down like that, you know, how would I react? Would I just stay there until someone potentially knelt on my neck until I was no longer there? Would I put up a fight? Because it's almost like you just don't know what to expect anymore. And that's the part that kind of scares me because there are a lot of good men and women out there who are going to feel the brunt of this. Um, that's how a couple of people who are, you know are white who do, who don't deal with the police very often. Um, that's how we feel. You know, if if they feel those kind of people feel unsafe, I can't imagine what people of different ethnicities feel like. Uh, what people who who live in populations where police show up more in your neighborhood, um, because you just don't know when those interactions uh, are going to go south. And I, I just I sympathize. I, I really do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I've always approached that job when I was there uh, from a mindset, I could tell when people were uncomfortable with my presence and we'll let them know like, Hey, don't know what your, what your situation was in the past. Um, if, if things didn't go right, I'm not that kind of person. So, you know, let's, let's just treat each other with respect and we'll get through whatever the situation is. And, um, you know, I wish more of that empathy and compassion would come through in more of the people in uniform. Um, I think that's one of many facets of things that needs to change and I don't know exactly how to implement those kinds of things, but um, I feel like it's one of many parts that needs to adapt right now. And I think another part that really needs to adapt is the people who are doing the job need to turn the light more on the ugly. They they need to be the light themselves. Um, they're out there to to protect people and to do a certain job. And I think that starts with even sometimes policing their colleagues, policing themselves, you know, and and shining the light um, inward sometimes towards the people you work with and the people you work for. Um, I I definitely can say that much, but people need to stand up a bit more. Um, You know, that that saying goes, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for everything. Um, I've worked with a lot of great people. Um, I've had a lot of great supervisors. I just got a message from um, uh, one of my first supervisors ever, probably the best man I ever worked for. Got a message from him today uh, just commenting about the podcast, which I thought was great. Greatest hearted person, um, by far, the hands down, the best person I ever worked for. Um, his name is Jim. I don't want to go his full name, but uh, just fantastic people in this job. And I'm glad they're out there doing what they do. And I just hope that they use their positions. They use their platform like I am right now in a very responsible way to realize the responsibility and power that they do have and use it for all the right reasons and nothing else. All right, everybody, I'm going to wrap this one up. Um, I know this was a bit of a somber episode. Uh, It's definitely not a subject that you can sugarcoat. And uh, this isn't typically what I do on the podcast. But I feel like it's uh, an important thing to talk about and shed some light on and share my perspective and speak my authenticity. So um, I hope you do the same. I hope that however you approach the rest of your day, think of other people, be authentic, try to enhance everybody's day that you come across, set a great example. Uh, I think that's the number one thing is set a great example. The definition of integrity is do the right thing even when no one else is watching. I think if you follow that, I don't think you'll have any regrets. I'll leave you with a song from Soul Rising. This one is called Follow Me off of the Chill Out Sessions 2. Until next time, keep inspiring others. Keep living. Thanks for listening.